Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Dmitry Filipovich. Joining me, sitting across from me at this uh, table in my apartment is, uh, is my good buddy Cam Robinson. Cam, what's going on, man? Not too much. Just jumped off a float plane. I uh, brought my luggage and my suit here. and Only your 213th podcast appearance of the week. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, a wily veteran by this point now. Uh, we've got a live studio audience of Uffe Bodin. Flew in all the way from Sweden just for this. He's actually flying out before the draft. Uh, he just came here just for this podcast. He's not even going to stick around for the event. Uffe, do you want to say hi to the audience? Hi, audience. That, yeah, there we go. That's, that's, that's authentic Swedish right there. You can't, you, you can't fake that on my end. Um, we are drinking... Some uh, delicious raspberry wheat ales brought to us by Philips. Not even a sponsor of the podcast. I'm just, I just enjoy the beverage so much. I'm going to give them a shout out. Yeah, extra And uh, we're going to talk about the, uh, the NHL draft today. We're going to do, I thought it'd be fun for you and I to do something resembling a mock draft. Uh, we discussed it off air. We're not necessarily, it's not going to be your prototypical mock draft just because I don't think it's as fun for like me to take one pick and then you and then us alternating. I think we're just going to go one through 15. We'll do the lottery for today. And we're going to focus on each of those picks. We're going to look at, do you, want to, do you want to do it more from the perspective of what we think should happen or what we think will happen? Because it's always, it's always tricky trying to like get yourself in the headspace of some of these GMs. Yeah, for sure. I have definitely have my head wrapped around it that we're going to be picking the way it might go, yeah. um, which is chaos, right? Who knows how it's actually going to go. I'm down. I, I go either way. We could, we could do it the way if we're I, running all the teams. or. Uh, well, I think, we, I think we, can, we, can, we can point out. We can, like, we can be like, all right, at this pick this guy makes a lot of sense either stylistically or what the team needs, but I don't know, maybe they, they're going to go with this guy because of their past draft history or whatever. I mean, also I was looking at some of the stuff and some of these teams are really all over the place in terms of like trying to figure out what they're going to do and what their tendencies are. You know, it's, it's almost like there's no coherent long-term plan. It's almost like they're changing it on a year to year kind of, Fly by the seat of their pants basis. Oh man, what uh, what GM in their right mind would do something like that, especially mm-hmm. one you know with with not uh, too many years left on their contract. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> but yes. no, I'm I'm definitely down for that. I, I might have to slide in a few wow moments just to just to be fun because that's the way the draft usually goes. But that's exciting. 
Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, at any point, if we want to, um, maybe one time each, we have the right to just randomly trade the pick to someone else and just throw a wrinkle into the, into the draft. I don't want us to be trading every pick because that'll get a bit too crazy. But all right, let's start. Let's start with the Devils and. Here's where I'm at with this, because I know there was a lot of Hughes versus Kako. I had Ryan Beach on a couple weeks ago now when we discussed it, and it was kind of like fresh off of the World Championships where Kako was really making a push there for the first overall pick, and it was hard not to be impressed with sort of the NHL readiness, but also like how projectable his talents are, and we're seeing him play against current present-day NHL defensemen and him treating Ryan Suter like he's his younger brother. And and so it, it, some of that stuff, you're just like, okay, like, if I'm a GM, this is pretty exciting that I know I can plug this guy into my roster from day one and he'll probably be a top six winger and maybe even better right out of the gate. But as I've thought about it more and as we've distanced ourselves from it and as I've watched more tape and read more stuff and just kind of tried to wrap my head around this, like Hughes is, his campaign is sort of unassailable. Like you can, I'm not even worried about him being a center versus Kako being a winger or the NHL readiness. I just think like if you look at where we're headed in today's game, and kind of what drives the bus and what skills you really need from your impact players. His just sort of combination of creativity and skating and how the, the, the tempo he's going to be able to play at, like you put all that together and it seems like if you don't pick him, you're probably going to spend the next whatever, however many years you're, you're still running a team in the NHL being like, man, I, I, maybe, to, maybe to, your, to, your, to, your, to your last day on this planet, you're going to be like, I really wish I got Jack Hughes. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And, and you're right. The way that he can play the game and the way he can impact it with his feet, with his hands, with his mind too. Yeah. just, you know, he's at his best when he has the puck on his stick. And, and, you know, we, it's difficult because I'm, I'm a big fan of Capo Caco and, and I did actually flip him on my board there for, for several weeks. And, and, you know, would just stay up late at night thinking about it. When, when it was do a I trendy thing back? to do, you know, and I'm not a trendy guy. Like yeah. I usually be like, ah, you know, we'll just stay away from that kind of stuff. But he legitimately with his play, especially in the second half, I thought he really elevated his game um you know going back to the league after the world junior championships where you know i was begging him to use his shot a lot more and, and he went back and he did that he stopped deferring to his his more mature pro teammates and he started taking matters into his own hands and, and scoring big goals and that led to the playoffs and obviously into the world championships and you know he's a great player and when we see that you know the playoffs just wrapped up here is that you know these big impactful guys he's a winger but the play runs through yep. him it will at the nhl level and and you know he will step into the nhl next season and be an impactful player but at the end of the day, you know, I've got Jack Hughes number one on my board because he can just play that 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 next level. He can hit that next gear and do things that not everybody can do. And, and you know, I think Kako can do everything very, very well, uh, but maybe not truly elite at any one aspect. And when you add that kind of dash of uh, elite skating in the brain that uh, Hughes has, it just it puts him at the top spot. I mean, I feel pretty comfortable saying, like, both guys are as close to sort of a sure thing, whatever that means as you can get. Cause like just based on their individual skill sets, uh, you never know what'll happen obviously over time, but I just feel like they'll have some sort of a successful NHL career. Maybe they might not be superstars or, or, or might have injuries or what have you, but just based on what we know right now with the present day information, but just kind of as like a big picture sort of methodology, theoretical exercise for you, if you're running a team and you're picking this high in the draft, um, how, what, what kind of factors are you weighing from the perspective of like you want to obviously hit a home run because if you're picking this high you don't ideally want to be picking here again in the next couple of years and this might be your one chance to land sort of a, a foundational generational star like this but at the same time sometimes these two things don't necessarily go go hand in hand with like the guy who has the higher floor sort of in terms of like 
you know for a fact that he's going to be a very good NHLer. It might not necessarily apply to this debate because we like both players, obviously, but later on as we get into the third and fourth overall picks and you start talking about guys like Byram and Turcotte, it's sort of like, what are you prioritizing from... Are you just swinging for the fences and going, man, if I nail this pick, I'm going to be the GM of this team for the next decade. And if I'm not, if I don't, well, I'm going to be out of this job anyways. Or are you just like trying to make sure you get something from that pick? Yeah, I'm a gambler for sure. Um, But at the same time, when you're picking this high, I I think you're going to do your homework and you're going to probably make sure that whatever you're doing here is. And, you know, in a situation like this where you can't really go wrong at one, two, but as we move through and and basically a pick three, that's where things kind of get hazy. And for me, you know, I, I value processing speed how they see the game you know the little decisions that happen all over the ice can they read that happening you know a split second earlier than the competition and and then skating ability and so those two things kind of supersede a great shot or great puck skills or you know a two-way player Um, those things are excellent you want those things as well but uh, but at the end of the day skating and processing and then you know when you're splitting hairs on these kids like you're gonna have to trust trust the scouts you're gonna have to hopefully glean some information when you interview these kids and when the scouts been talking to them all year to to find out the character you know does do they have the desire the burn you know to be the best sort of thing so yeah Mm. no i think that makes sense and and you know I think I'm actually higher on Hughes's day one ability in terms of like my projection for what he's going to do in 2019, 2020. I was going to say 2018, 19. I can't believe we're going to head heading into the 2020s here. But I just think if you look at assuming the Devils do go and make that pick and how he's going to fit in there, the fact that they already do have a guy like Hishier who might not necessarily be your kind of traditional number one center who you build your entire team around, but like having them as at least like a one, a one B punch out of the gate. And the way this team is constructed, what they do have is a ton of shoot first wingers who really like to shoot a ton. I mean, obviously hall throughout his career, Palmieri the past couple of years when he's really broken out in New Jersey. I mean, even this year, Blake Coleman and miles wood were like top 10 in terms of shot attempts per 60 at, at five on five. And so, just in terms of the skill set and the fit kind of on paper on, on that depth chart, I like him jumping in right away and being able to like transition the puck and get the puck to those guys in advantageous positions. So I'm not obviously the physicality and maybe the wear and tear, and I'm sure there's going to be an adjustment just like most young guys. I mean, I think Kako's the exception there, but I'm pretty high on what Hughes is going to do right out of the gate. Yeah, he's a tremendous player, and I, I think I've been saying this for a while, too, that I think he's a better fit in New Jersey, and I think Kako's a better fit for the Rangers, and I think it makes a lot of sense for both those squads. Um, the other thing is that you know Hughes can slide in as a winger, and, and he can still set up these players for you know as, as shoot-first guys and, and dictate the pace of play in that regard. And, and so I, I think that it will be an adjustment for him. No player has ever stepped out of the program and gone straight into the NHL, so he'll be the first. I know some people are whispering that you know they think that he, he needs an extra year, and I, I, I don't have time for that. I think he's <laughs> he you know it's it's disappointing that you know what he did for the U18s last year was was so good that it's just like what what could he do next? Yep. You know, uh, so there was the hope that he could finish up school early and maybe go to Michigan and play with his brother. Uh, that didn't happen. Labor laws uh, prevented him from going over to Europe and playing because he wasn't 18 yet. And so, you know, it was either the OHL or, or stay there with the program and he did it. And, and so we start to nitpick players a little bit when you see that. And I just think that his game will, despite being a little bit undersized, he's so elusive out there. You know, Patrick Kane did the same thing and he came in and he put 60 odd points up and I wouldn't blink an eye if Jack does that next year. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you might kind of be slight of frame or not have the physical physicality day one, if no one can, 
lay the body on you, right? If you're exactly. just skating laps around them. So, all right, well, let's transition to that second overall pick because obviously, I mean, we don't need to build the uh, anticipation and drama here. It's going to be Kako. But when you talk about that fit and how you think he actually makes more sense if you're picking the dream landing spot for him here for the Rangers, man, what a run they're on right now. I mean, this is why we always kind of preach this idea of asset accumulation and get as many drivers as you can. You don't necessarily even need to make them yourself, but what they, they're going to get, obviously, the luxury of winning the lottery for their first, first overall pick, they're going to get uh, Capocacco at second. And then, what, they use their second on Adam Fox. They use the other first that they got in the Kevin Hayes trade to flip it back to Winnipeg, and they get Jacob Truba. They're going to have Kravtsov and, and Shostorkin, I believe, both coming overseas this year. We'll see what role they, they play in. But you look at that, and then the combination of Hedl and Leah Sanderson and all the picks they've made over the past couple of years, like, I, I think it's a pretty exciting time to be a Rangers fan. Oh, is it ever, you yeah. know? And, and Jeff Gordon went out, and what was it, 18 months ago maybe that he, he came out and publicly said, we're going to rebuild. Yep. And, you know, they could they, they could legitimately be contending for a playoff spot this year. And with the way the Metro's going, which is trending down, like, they have a fairly clear path to, to doing some deep runs here in the next, you know, four or five years. Um, and like you said, just the infusion of talent that they're bringing in, uh, it's going to be really, really impressive. And, and you know, to get Jacob Tura for, for basically a, a, a rental is, yeah. is nuts, right? Yeah. Like, the way they, they flip that around for Kevin Hayes. And so, uh, yeah, no, I think Capocacco and uh, Philip Hedl should be a pair, in my in my estimation, um, for a long time. And, and that could be a, a scary kind of dynamic on that. What will be a first line? And then you got Mika Zabinijak kind of anchoring the next offensive set of uh, things and probably leading the charge a bit for the next couple of years before yeah. Hedl takes over. But it's going to be a lot of fun in New York. And I bet you they're going to back up the Brinks truck for Temi Panarin here oh. in a couple of days, too. So. So. Yeah, well, that's the thing, too. They also have the cast plays right now to deal with while all these guys still are on their entry-level deals, and they can get creative with that. And you're right. I mean, I think last year makes sense with a young player. They were kind of reluctant, I think, to take the training wheels fully off Hedl and, and just play him down the middle at, at all times. I believe he was playing on the wing quite a bit, but I think we both agree he probably projects as a full-time center. And I think they need that because if you look at that depth chart beyond Zabinijad, it's a lot of question marks. It's a lot of, like, Brett Howden and a lot of whatever is left of Ryan Strom and, and, and so on and so forth. And so like, if you're just looking at this, we know what Kreider and Zibanejad are going to give you as a one-two punch on that, on that de facto first line. All of a sudden, if you're surrounding some of these elite young wingers with Hedl and he can really step into that, I think all of a sudden this becomes a team that I don't know how much it's going to translate onto on-ice success and wins next year, but I know it's going to be a team that's going to be like probably top five for me on the watchability rankings. Yeah, without a doubt. They're going to be must-see TV here. If it's not next year, it'll be the year after that. And you know, <clears throat> we're not even talking about Vitaly Kraftsov all that much because he's a, a high-end yeah. player as well. And I think the transition will be a little bit more for him, and he might struggle a bit out of the gate. But um, you know, towards the end of the season and, and next season, that he's, he's going to be another guy that's going to be a force playing in that top six too. So uh, we'll see what kind of moves they have to make if they want to clear out some more space to go and, and go grab a Panarin or something like that, or, or if they wait and make that push in a couple of years. But uh, yeah, there'll be a, a lot of players on the fantasy squads and, and a lot of ratings for uh, MSG there. Is there anything else on Kako or this fit or stuff that we should bring up with him? Uh, like. It, with these top two guys, it just like every kind of they've been such uh, so on the radar and such um, kind of high notoriety that everyone kind of we've already nitpicked their games. We already know everything, what they do, kind of the differences in, in the styles and so on and so forth. Like, is there anything else with Kako that we need to, to point out here? Or should we just get to like the real start of this draft at third overall? Yeah, it's a layup for New York. Let's, yeah. uh, let's get to three. Yeah. All right. So this is this is going to be where it gets exciting, because I think. And I know you wrote this in your preview as well. It does feel like it's kind of cementing itself into a bit of a tier here with Byram and Turcotte and then kind of everyone else after that. Um, what's interesting with the Blackhawks is 
I don't really know. I don't, I don't have a great feel for which way they're going to go. And obviously the way they go here is going to, I think, influence some of our later picks coming up. I don't know if you were, if you were Stan Bowman here acknowledging that um, you've spent a lot of your, I guess, past draft capital over the past couple of years on defensemen, not that, that should necessarily really influence your decision. If you think Bowen Byram's the third, third best prospect in this class, but how are you approaching this? And do you think there is sort of um, a more obvious pick here in between Turcotte, Byram, or Boxy? I don't know who the, the, who the other guy would even be. Yeah, there, there is another guy yeah. too, for sure. And uh, But, you know, if, if it's me... It's too early for Alex Newhook. Okay. I know you want to do it. You, you want to pull the trigger on it, but we've got to be real here. Yeah, I would not pull the trigger yeah. at that at this spot. But... Um, you know, if it's me, uh, I'm going up there and I'm grabbing the local Illinois kid at Alex Turcott. You know, he models his game after Jonathan Taves and, and to have him kind of mentor underneath him uh, and, and learn that that style. And I think that he's a, a ready-made player too. So he'll go to Wisconsin next season. I can almost assure that. And then he's a one and done candidate and he can step in and, you know, take over third line role sort of thing in 2020. Um, I think he has the high end upside to go with the two way play that for me, he's the most complete player outside of these next two um, by a decent margin. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe you're leaving a little bit pure ceiling offensive upside uh, with him just because he does play such a, a strong two way game. You know, you do the same thing with Patrice Bergeron and, yeah. and it's okay. You right. know, you, you still manage, but you know, the guy to, to keep an eye on, I think is Kirby doc. I think, uh, oh, I, I've heard some whispers and, oh, uh, yeah, for sure. And you know, there are a few teams out there that love this kid and it's, it's not necessarily from what he's doing today and what he did this past season, which was, you know, he did a lot of good things, but what he could be and, mm. and, you know, scouts see, uh, Ryan gets laugh and, and they see the potential for that big, yep. powerful all around top line center. And so, you know, if, if we're going to hear a little ooze and ahs, I think it might be Kirby Dak at three. I am worried about that pick. Um, like, I think at some point, obviously, he becomes a good value just because of that tantalizing skill set. And you can sort of like squint and envision a scenario where he does become something like that. I think if you're going with that projection, though, it's just it's just concerning with where the game is headed. We just spent like 10 minutes talking about how we love Hughes because he's able to play at this kind of like Nathan McKinnon-ish uh, Connor McDavid like level like making decisions at the highest possible gear and with the way the game is headed I think it's still possible obviously to kind of exert your will in the offensive zone and use size and reach to create for others but with the third overall pick and even I'd say top five just with some of the other names that are available I think it is a bit rich for me and I know he's got his camp of supporters and I know it does feel like he's sort of been the biggest riser as this process has gone on over the past couple of weeks where there was like a period there where it felt like he might even like fall towards the back half of the top 10. And now he's third or fourth in a lot of mock drafts. Yeah. And we saw that with Jesperi Kokaniemi last yeah. year too. You know, he was, he was coming out of May and still hanging around that nine, seven mark, you know, in and around that. And then as the week or two let up, it's just the, the priority to get centers is, is so, it's so huge. And, and especially last year. So it wasn't such a big surprise that Cockney jumped up a little more. So the Barrett Hayton, but in this class, there's a lot of good centers. And uh, like I said, I think it's Turcotte is, is the best one sitting there, but, and like, I've got doc 10 on my board. I'm just, I'm just yeah. cautioning. People. I mean, I honestly, yeah. I think I, he's my third favorite WHL center. Yeah. He's mine too. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. it's close. Like it's not, I'm not saying oh, I'd be outraged, but I, I, it does feel like it's a it's a bit of a wow. This guy's six four. Look at him. He looks like an NHLer as opposed to like yeah. He's got some skills for sure. He, does, you know, he, he does, can get yeah. blown up. He yeah. can get his head down, and and you know he can do some things out there. I'd love him to see with more pace, as we said. You yeah. know, it, it, so that's it, what I'm a bit worried about watching some of these like uh, highlight tapes and, and 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 reading about him. Like I'm, 
I don't know necessarily worried about like the straight line point A to point B speed, but it's more like the acceleration in the offensive zone, which I guess if you're able to just like fend off defenders with your reach and, and your size and, and have the vision and Ryan gets lavish playmaking, like that's another way to be successful in the NHL, but it's very risky. I could definitely see that being a pick that's like you wind up regretting it pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. It could definitely turn out that way. Yeah. So I have, I mean, I have Byram at the third overall pick. Um, I don't know. I just, I just felt like for, for whatever reason, I think maybe, and this might be a wrong way to approach it. I was just like, I like Turcott, but I also like a couple of the other guys. Whereas with Byron, I'm like, I feel very confident that he's the best defenseman in this class. And also that he's like the perfect defenseman for today's game. And I feel very confident about what he's going to look like at this level. Um, and I just, it feels like a, a sure pick while also having the upside of like, him being a franchise-changing defenseman for you, which I don't think they necessarily have yet. As much as I like Joki Harju and and Boquist and Bodan and Mitchell and all these guys they've drafted, like those guys are nice pieces. But I still think like this is like a different caliber of prospect in terms of defensemen. No, I think you're right too, for sure. And th- those guys you mentioned there, they're they're more secondary yeah. pieces. You know, Boquist he's got the high-end offensive skill, but he he's going to need a partner with him that can play everything. And so you know, Bone Byron at that spot is you really can't go wrong because he is unique in this class because he's the only one that can truly project as a top pairing player. Um, you know, there are, there are a couple of flaws to his game that will still need ironing out. And I, I think that if he is, if he does go to Chicago or if he does go to Colorado, that he'll be back in, in Vancouver playing for the giants next year and working on those things. And then he'll transition up. If he slides down the board a little bit more, I could see him starting in the NHL and, and making a push that way. But, uh, yeah, Chicago, I think that they're in a spot, unless they do get crazy and go after a dock or, or, or slide back even further or go even pog Coles in it and just take a little more risk, is that if they sit with Turcotte or, or Byram, is that, you know, it's it's they're going to do well. They're going to feel okay about their pick. Yeah, I had in my notes, I was like, if you were Stan Bowman, what would it be a, a fair trade where you're packaging this pick with Brent Seabro's contract? Like, what would you have to get back in return? But I think that, that might be a bit too crazy of a discussion for us to... Uh, to venture into right now who knows i mean that contract is so bad so okay so let's say let, let's play out both scenarios here if you're the avalanche let's say the blackhawks take turcott at third overall in your scenario what are you doing at the at that fourth slot there yeah if i'm the abs yeah, yeah i'm taking byram yeah yeah i'll, I'll, I'll take byram there and, and so uh, the, the inverse if 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 byram's off the board you're just taking turcott uh, I, I mean, I am. Yeah, yeah I, I'm doing that right. for sure. Uh, again, I think, and and you know, just to mention wait, who that. else? Who else are we talking about? Who else is making <laughs> the that? other GMs? Yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, for picking what could happen, right? Um, but I will say that I, I think that both three and four are, are somewhat in play, right? I think Chicago's interested in taking another quick swing and, and trying to go on a run here with their aging core. Mm. Um, so if someone offers them a, a ready-made you know, impact player that they'll, yeah. they'll be listening for sure. And I think Colorado with found money, uh, I think they're, sure. they're especially m- having 16th overall as well. I think they're probably more interested in moving 16 mm-hmm. and holding on to four, right. but it, but if the right offer came across their desk for Joe Zaki there, I think that that's another one that you could justify moving to. I mean, if you're the abs, you can't really go wrong here. Cause I could see like from both perspectives, if Byram falls into your lap here and Turcotte's off the board at three, like the idea of pairing him with Makar and Gerard. And I assume Barry probably will not be around anymore by then, but um, not to make him sound like he's going to pass away or anything yeah. in terms of trade or, or, or whatever, but all of a sudden like that becomes a very fascinating, like just foundation of a defensive nucleus. But at the same time, I'd love to see them get a second young center to pair up with McKinnon and give that one, two punch. 
someone to grow with. But I think we were hoping Tyson Jones would be that guy, and I'm still not ready to close the book entirely on him. But obviously, his first couple of years haven't necessarily. He hasn't. I don't think he's shown enough yet for from anyone to say comfortably like, yeah, he's going to be their second line center of the future. So that door is still open, and obviously, them getting this pick, considering how their season went and how we think we think they're going to project moving forward, it's like a rare luxury, and it's obviously all gravy for Joe Sakic. So if they can land. Uh, a guy, if you think Turkaw is going to be that center of the future for them, that is also a very, very enticing route for them to take. Oh, without a doubt. And, and you know, how perfect would that fit be? Because, you know, Turcotte doesn't have to be the number one guy. He can he can sit there kind of in the shadows a little bit behind McKinnon and just impact play and drive play. And, you know, they have some good young wingers, too, that he could come up and bring along with them as well. And so... You know, I, I was saying that it makes a lot of sense for Chicago to go Turk out there to, to model his game under Taze. But, you know, in a couple of years, he'd have to be the guy and, yeah. and going to Colorado and sliding into that spot. And I think, you know, you never say anyone's an, a sure bet when they're 17, 18 years old. But, uh, you know, Alex Turcotte has all, all the boxes checked to be a, a player that could step into that second line role, you know, sooner than most, too. So for an avalanche squad that's looking to contend right quick here, mm. um, you know, another thing is I think they'll take a good long look at Joe Pavelski as maybe a short term second line center as well, too, that could kind of bridge the gap there. Uh, it would it would make a lot of sense. So yeah. so whoever's sitting there, Byram or Turcotte, I think that they should just walk up and grab one. Okay, so we're in agreement. I think those four guys that we've listed so far uh, with Hughes, Kako, and Byram, Byram and Turcotte in some order, this is where it gets really interesting at five with the Kings because this is my first real dilemma of who I would take versus who I think is going to go. Because I don't know this is a hot take, but my third favorite prospect in this year's class is Trevor Zegras. Yeah. I love this guy's game, and I think I can very easily see what he's going to be in the NHL, and I think that's going to be a very, very, very good player. There's no way in hell the Kings are taking Trevor Zegras 5, assuming that top four goes the way it is. Yeah, I think you're right. I have Zegers as, as number five on my board. Oh, and, really? You do? Okay. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, and, nice. and, and, you know, if it was me, then that's who I'd be That's who I'd yeah. be taking. If I was a king, I'm with you there. I don't, you know, they need skill. They need some high-end skill. I, I think that he projects more as a left winger as well. I don't right. think he'll play the middle of the ice. Uh, you know, to me, he's a lot more Clayton Keller than, you know, Sonny Milano that some of these people are, uh, he right. gets comparisons to because he doesn't have the gaudy point totals uh, with the program there. But, uh, you know, he's so creative. He's the most... He's the purest passer in this crop, and that's saying something with with you know Hughes out there. And you know, many nights when I was watching that club, is that you know you you'd think that he was Hughes. Right. On some shifts, you'd have to take a double look at the at the number, and and so you know I'm with you on that page. But I, I also agree that I don't think he's going to L.A. I think the concerns about him potentially being more of a left winger than a center are are a bit overblown. I've seen that cited as like why he should fall and why other guys should go ahead of him because this is a pretty uh, you know natural center rich class, but. If you're just talking about a guy with that sort of like upside, but also projectable skill set and the speed he's going to play at and the tenacity and, and I think the full well-rounded game and the playmaking, like I, I'm not worried about it. Just like similar like what we said with Kako, like I, I think when he gets on an NHL ice, the puck will be finding his stick quite a bit, regardless of whether he's moving up the middle or whether he's coming down the left wing. No, you're absolutely right. I was going to say the same thing is the play will still run through him regardless of, of what position he's playing, because that's just the type of player he is. He's, he's very cerebral. He's very smart. He's one of these guys that knows how to find the soft spots in the ice and, and the puck falls him around. And that's a funny compliment that we give to players and i think that that's a, a nice representation of you know it's it's difficult to really define what hockey iq yeah. is there's a million hockey definitions sense, yeah, it's such yeah. A nebulous uh is it ever but you know what, the one of the things is that like oh the puck seems to just follow him around the ice and, and you just saw you just see that from some players and it's because they know where to go um and he's one of those guys so if he's in the middle you know great uh, i think he's probably just a little shy on on the on the size to to do that and, and play it in a number one role but mm. you know it'd be a top left winger that can still drive play and still move that you know 
all you got to do is teach his kid that he doesn't always have to do a 360 backhand pass or an aerial. Sometimes he can just make a straight up pass and, and he'll be good to go. Well, the thing is with a lot of these teams, like the Avs are kind of the rare exception here, but it's like whether it's a left winger or a center or a defenseman, you really should just worry about getting as much talent as you can because chances are if you're picking this high in the draft, you have quite a few holes in your roster. Yeah. So it's like it's not like this, any team's like, oh, we're so loaded at left wing that I don't think he fits into our plan, so we're going to take a worse center just to, to knock that off our board. But while I say that I can't see the Kings doing that because I just think like the Kirby Doc and, and, and some of these other centers are going to be too enticing for them, assuming the top four goes the way we have it, they have drafted – Pretty decently, I think, the past couple of years in terms of this is obviously a team that had their cup run and really committed to that and now is going to go through a pretty nasty teardown. And most of the roster is still a bunch of old, overpaid guys who are past their prime. But, you know, obviously with the Muzzin trade, it helps getting another first and getting Carl Grunstrom, who had a nice little cameo towards the end of the year there. Last year, you know, they got um, Akil Thomas in the second round, who I like quite a bit. They got Rasmus Kupari pretty late. Like, they're actually, like, in getting a slow but steady talent infusion, mostly on the forward ranks for them here. So pretty much any player that's available, whether it is Egress or whoever else, like, it'll come in handy. But I do like some of the stuff that's coming together for them. Obviously, it'll take a while for it to translate into NHL success. But No, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head. And there. my boy, my boy, Bulat Shafigulin. Oh, of course, yes, who I definitely Bulat. had. I think I had him in my top 100 last year or something <laughs> crazy like that, too. But... Um, no, for sure. I, I love the Rasmus Kupari uh, pick there at around 20 or whatever it was. Um, he, he's a nice player, and him yeah. and Heponiemi, they had some fun over there in the league yeah. of this season, and I think he's going to be a player, and I think that that really takes a sting off what's happening with Gabe Velarde, and, and he's just suffered so much with the back issues, and it, you know, it, the, the career is definitely in question, and to to lose a top 10 pick so quickly after that, that, that can be devastating for a franchise for sure. And so, you know, it, maybe they'll surprise us and maybe they'll just take the, the most talented player on the board. And for me, that's Trevor Zegers as well. Um, you know, maybe they get crazy and they look at a defenseman. I, I, I love I, that. Like that wasn't even like a, a, a sarcastic, like maybe they'll just take the most talented player left. Like, and we're both like, yeah, maybe, <laughs> yeah. Maybe who are we kidding? <laughs> who are we kidding? Yeah. That's a, that is a shame. I, Oh man, if they took a defenseman this high, I mean, we'll get into it a bit here in the next couple picks, but it feels like we're primed for someone taking a defenseman at least like four or five picks too high and us just being like, oh my, oh, oh, oh yeah, there's going to be a couple, yeah. I, I, there, there's, there's going to be three in the top 10 here with Byram. It's, well, it's going to get crazy. All right. Well, yeah, let's, yeah. let's get to it. Let's keep going then. Red Wings at six. I think they go Zegris. Yeah. That yeah. does seem like a logical fit. Yeah. I do like that. Yeah. Wait, so for if the, he's there. So for the Kings, are we giving them Doc or I mean I think they could I think, you know, even Dylan Cousins is is a yeah. real a real a real look there for them at five. It's yeah, well I guess we have to give them someone if we're gonna keep moving along here. But, okay, so here's yeah. a thought exercise for you. Let's say two prospects are relatively equal in terms of build, uh, you know, awareness, skating, everything. Well, one guy is a more natural playmaker, another guy is a more natural finisher slash shooter. Which skill set are you prioritizing or gravitating towards? Everything else being equal, so you're just those are the only two identifiable traits that are different. Yeah, I'll, I'll pay for goals. I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just by a hair, and I love guys that can impact the game as distributors. But end of the day, putting the puck in the net is a, a more unique skill set. So, with that being said, would you consider Cole Caulfield here? I think LA will. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think a, a lot of teams, if he's still sitting there at the picks after will as well. Um, the, 
and I hate to say it because this is not how I assess, but if he wasn't five foot seven, right. I think that he'd get a lot more juice at this spot. For sure. Um, and, and it's, it's because he's five foot seven and he's not a burner and he, he's not overly elusive. And so the, the way he can score in, in a variety of ways is impressive. And I think that he's going to be able to score goals in the NHL. It's just that when he's not scoring goals, he's not really impacting the game right. in, in a positive way. And so, yeah, I think they could look at that and they could be like, you know, here's our next 30 goal score and we need one of those. But I, I to be honest with you, I, I think that every one of these teams is going to take a, a good long look at them and they're probably going to decide that there's, a, there's an option that's just maybe slightly safer and that he could be sitting there at 12. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is fair. I mean, and it is, it is such a loaded kind of top end of the draft here there. If you do have any of those concerns, it's not like you can, you can just go somewhere else with a player that might have similar upside, but a fewer of those concerns. And, it's going to be really fascinating with with these teams here, with the Red Wings, with the Sabres, especially, because I, I was trying to figure out, like, which way they're going to go or what they're looking for. And, and I mean, both teams do really need, like, a little bit of everything. So I, I wouldn't be surprised in any direction they went in. But you're right. Obviously, if Zegras falls here to the Red Wings, I think that's a no-brainer. Otherwise, um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it's tough. There's there's other names here that I like here. We're going to get into the new hooks. We're going to get into Krebs. We're going to get even to put goals in. I just don't see them going this high. So it's that that's why we're not we should point that out because I'm sure there's listeners at home that are like, why aren't they talking about these guys? Like, don't they love them? Like they've been talking about them on Twitter or whatever. And it's like, I just don't realistically see a plausible scenario where one of those guys goes this high. So it's just kind of we can just talk about it, but it's kind of like we're just it's an echo chamber because it's not actually gonna happen in reality. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I, I think if we're being completely realistic here, it's it's gonna be Doc, it's gonna be cousins. Maybe it's Caulfield. You know, I, I think that I think that it's it's not going to be Zegras. I think he'll he'll be the kind of layup for for uh, Stevie Y back in Detroit. And you know, that's I, a great pick for them. Yeah, is like it ever? And they're and they're yeah. building something nice in yeah. Detroit. They're uh, you know they are arguably the winners of last year's draft, and and they've they've been building nicely. Can you imagine the pace like him and if he is on the wing, him and Larkin would be playing out together. Like yeah, that would yeah. be that would be something to watch. Yeah, for sure. Mantha or uh, Zadina yeah. Yeah. floating on the other side. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. Um, all right, so. Yeah, so do we have anything else on the Sabres? It's going to be like one of these guys. Uh, I don't even know which way they'd necessarily be leaning. Is this where we start considering some of these defensemen? Or Yeah, and I think I think Buffalo will too. I think, I think they're going to take a good long look at Broberg. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I think the real surprise will be is that their right side is not so great. And they might be moving to line in here, and it might be Maurice Sider. And, you know, the, the kid is just, uh, he's, he's, his transition this last, this whole entire season, but the way he's really gone up and his developmental arc is just shot through the roof and, and he had the great world championships and, and he had a nice playoffs in the DEL. And once the training wheels were off and it sucked, I went in to try to watch him early in the season. And as I was getting these German scouts were saying, how come you're not talking about this kid? And I was like, I got to see him. Like yeah. I don't get the chance to see him. And I go in and he'd either get healthy scratch or he's playing three minutes. And then by the end of the year, he was an impactful go-to player for that team, uh, in a pro league. And, you know, he, he's a little raw there, but I, I really think Buffalo is going to take a good long look at this kid. I'll be taking a good look at him. I mean, yeah, Mo Cider. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be drinking some Mo Cider this summer for sure at the yeah, beach. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I think he's been rising quite a bit on this. I think if he went that high, I, I would be a bit surprised. But at the same time, the Sabers do feel like a bit of a wild card there. And, and I think if like if a guy like Caulfield's available, I could see them going for him for sure. But if he goes off the board, either with the Kings or the Red Wings, all of a sudden that opens the door there and, and they are a prime candidate for a wacky pick. And as are the Oilers. Oh yeah. See, I think if, 
one of those centers with Cousins or Docs available, I feel like they're probably going to take him, which is why I'm hoping both guys go off the board so we can open the hilarious scenario. Here are my notes. I have the Philip Broberg buzz for this pick is legit funny. That's that's my take on this. I, I think that would be so funny if the Oilers took a defenseman because they feel the need that they need NHL defenseman right now. Oh, yeah. I, and at I, eight. I, I, I think it's legitimate, too. I don't think it's a smokescreen. I think they love... We're gonna, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna get we're gonna get Ufe here to, to come 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 and tell, give us a little uh, a little Philip Broberg scouting report on how he feels about this because notably we've we that he's the first Swedish player we've mentioned in this year's class which I feel like is a is a large departure so Ufe how are you feeling about Philip Broberg uh, you've spent some time in Edmonton covering the Oilers if they go and take him eighth overall what do you think the reaction to that is going to be and what are you going to think of that pick. Uh, it's obviously a player with a really high ceiling, but I see him as a high-risk, high-reward kind of player. Uh, I don't really know what he is at this point um, in terms of what he can produce offensively, if he can be a player who runs your power play or not. So there's a lot of question marks there, but uh, there's also a lot of like. I mean, the size, the skating, that combination is, is pretty unique in today's hockey. I mean, you have a defenseman that big with that that kind of skating ability. So... Um, I'm intrigued but about him but I'm not I'm not convinced he's going to be like an NHL star. Well, okay, how are you feeling about and after you get this uh Cam you can you can kind of carry on from this but how do you feel about comparing him versus Soderstrom as prospects and in terms of especially this high in the draft where if you are going for a home run pick you don't necessarily want to like you want to get something out of it you don't want to look back 3 years from now and be like oh another top 10 pick for us that isn't playing in the NHL anymore. Uh shout out to Jesse Pugliarvi but at the same time, you also don't want to be getting a third pairing defenseman eighth overall either. If that what is what we think, so I don't want to, as for an eighteen year old, just chalk him up as a. Th- but in terms of the upside, I feel like we all agree that Soderstrom necessarily doesn't have as high of it as Sider or, or Broberg or some of these other defensemen. No, he's what I would consider a safe pick. He's probably going to be a, a, maybe a top four defenseman in best case scenario, but he could also be maybe a, a little less. He could be your Jonas Brodin or, or something like that. I think he's definitely going to play in the NHL, but uh, as you mentioned, like the ceiling on Broberg is much higher if he can get all his uh, his stuff and, and together and, and be the kind of player that he's shown flashes of. But um, it would probably be a safer pick and a, I guess more boring pick to to pick Soderstrom instead. Okay, well here's my question for you, Cam, and and, and hopefully you can answer this as well. But obviously, there's certain things that. Um, even with the best training or the best coaching staff, you just can't teach a prospect. Um, and they're usually like physical traits. I mean, we can improve skating and, and, and whatnot, but like there's certain stuff where just no matter how much you work at it, you're not going to get tangibly better. With some of these defensemen, um, and that's why it would be really funny if if the Sabres took him after the whole Rasmus or Salinan experience, but this idea of a guy with physical tools who doesn't have that, nebulous hockey sense like you don't know what it is but then when you watch him play you're like he just doesn't seem to understand where the puck is going to go next and so he's always in the wrong place at the wrong time and kind of chasing it and whereas some guys the puck's always following them and so you don't want to necessarily be like oh this 18 year old is never going to be able to figure out this part of the game but at the same time at this point if it's still such an obvious concern like is that something that you're seriously weighing as like we got a question if it's ever going to come uh, I absolutely do. I, I I honestly believe that the most difficult thing to to teach a player at seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old 
is how to is how to think the game at a high level. And so, you know, you can have all the physical tools, uh, but if you don't have the toolbox, it's it's not going to work out well for you. And so, the thing the thing with Broberg for me is that you know I watched him all season long, and you know his very best was against his peer group. So at the U18s at the Ivan Holinka, he was you know borderline dominant, and it's because of those physical tools. He could rush the puck, and and you couldn't stop him. I mean, his skating is is very impressive. It's you know the 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 power he can generate off of a you know a, a stride length is it's it's something to marvel at. And I think that scouts fall in love with that too, and they see what he does in international competitions against his peers. You know, put him against the U twenty level, and he's not doing the same things. You know, move him up to the Allsvenskan, and I granted I, I thought his play improved throughout the season, uh, but at the same time, it's just I saw him making the same mistakes over and over. And for me, if I was his coach, it'd be so frustrating because you know he just seems to. He just jumps at the wrong time. And, and you know, if he was truly, uh, truly dynamic with his hands as well, and, and he, was, he was making these rushes count, and, and he didn't find himself in the corner or, or throwing a blind pass in the middle and then having to get himself back, if he was converting on these and setting them up, and you'd be like, well, you know, he took a chance there, and it, it worked out. And if he did that more often than not, uh, then sure, you know, the, this kid's got top 10 upside. For me, he's, he's more down around the 20 mark because you take a swing at that chance that, Maybe everything's going to come together and he's going to be the one in a thousand that, that can learn how to think the game at a higher level as a teenager yeah. or as in his 20s. Uh, but, you know, it's probably likely that he's going to be a, a complimentary guy on your bottom pair. And, and so for me in the top 10, that's a huge risk. Yeah, it's tough. It's not necessarily like as aggressive as like, um, you know, a baseball hitter having to recognize which pitch is coming at him that fast. But the game does happen so fast that. You, you can you can have the best coaching in the world and you can go through the practice reps of like, okay, when this happens or you're watching tape in the video room, like when this happens, you need to be here. Where this happens, you need to go over there. But then like with 20,000 fans roaring at you and all this stress and intensity and it happening so fast, all of a sudden, like you need, it, it's weird because like you don't really want to be thinking about it. You sort of intuitively need to be just go, gravitating to those spaces and when this is a concern at this point of a guy's career, considering he has been, you know, playing very competitive hockey to get to this stage of his NHL draft, like that is alarming to me. No, for sure. And and you, you can go all the way back to, you know, peewee hockey and like you, you see guys and they just were thinking, you're like, how did they know when to go to that spot? Like they just knew they knew when to jump. They knew when to not. And these these tiny little micro decisions all over the rink everywhere, especially for a defenseman, too, with your gap coverage and your control and where your pace is going to be playing at. And you know, do I go into the corner and take this guy? Do I stay in the middle? Uh, it's it's everywhere. There's little decisions that need to be made. And, and, you know, for me, he just makes the wrong decision too often. And and so I've kind of been a, I've, I've championed against him, I should say, just because I, I don't feel the same way as many scouts do. And, and to be honest with you, though, talking with guys in Sweden who watch him more than I do, a lot of them have the same concerns too, but it's just become that if you love a player, if someone loves a player and they're getting, you know, knocked up as, you know, maybe a, a top five, a top eight pick. Um, and I don't see the opposite. I have to kind of go against him. And so I don't think he's a bad player. And I think the physical tools are all there. Similar to, you know, a few years ago, we were talking about the, the dreaded Jake Vertanen draft yeah. is that he had all the physical tools and he's a player. He's a player that can help a team, especially in a couple of years, probably when he can chip in 15, 20 goals and, and hopefully can use that speed. But you're you're wasting a pick. But then you missed out on Nick Ehlers. Exactly, you're sacrificing a lot of upside, right? When you do that, and so you, if hey, you know, if you if you want to take a chance, and he's going to be that that guy who can make it all, put it all together. I'm not betting on it though. It does seem like almost a guarantee that either the Oilers or the Canucks are taking him at eight or ten, which is amazing because it's like two of the worst run organizations over the past however many years, and and we're having this full conversation, and it's like I feel pretty confident one of them is just going to be like. I see what you're saying. I understand the risk, 
but, but have you seen this guy's physical tools? Oh man, I, I think you're I think you're right, and it's it shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. You know, is it? It's not surprising that I'm just hoping, right? As as we're here in Vancouver and and cover the Canucks, it's like let's just hope that Edmonton grabs him. Yeah. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine like the panic in the Canucks draft room? Edmonton takes Philip Broberg and the Canucks like, what do we? What do we do now? We haven't even scouted anyone past that. What do we do? I'm guessing Judd Brackett will probably yeah. have a little, little, pick, a little fist pump. No, no, yeah, Maybe we can yeah, get yeah. a third liner. Yeah. Um, for the Oilers, uh, you know, we mentioned some of the centers that might still be available, the defensemen. What do you think about a fit with a guy like, uh, we haven't really mentioned Matthew Boldy yet as sort of like, uh, kind of just like, I don't even know, just like a slick winger. Like, I, I, I think you actually use that word as well, but like, just like, He's very, very smooth. He is smooth. He's, he's buttery smooth for sure. And, and another one of these guys, like, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've said it, is that realistically five through 12 is you throw him into a hat, pull a name out. And, and so I could see any one of these players working for, for any one of these clubs. And Matt Boldy is a really nice player. He, the way he plays a power forward game, he's really worked at hard at improving his defensive play so much so that when he played on the U 17s, I would say that it was a slight negative on his, on his resume. And now it's a real plus. He's become kind of the everything man for that, that U 18 team this year. And the, you know, the coach would move him up and down the lineup. He put him on the penalty kill. He'd move him off to the second power play unit to try to get them going. He, he was everything for them. And if he had better two step quickness, uh, and, and his top gear was just a, a little bit higher. I, I, I think, you know, we'd be saying, you know, does Chicago go boldy here at, three because he's that good he can impact the game in a lot of ways the thing i really like about him too is that he can kind of be the chameleon on whatever Mm -hmm. on whatever line whatever they need from him so if they need him to be a distributor he's got great vision he's got a nice soft touch uh you know he did that at the u17 level and then he moved up and he wasn't playing with cole caulfield anymore and so he's like well i guess i'll be the shooter and he's got a great shot and so he can do a lot of things he's one of these guys that i safely project to you know be a 25 goal 50 point guy um and that's kind of like the medium range part in my mock here, I, I had the Ducks taking him at nine just purely because I do think of them. And, and to be fair, it is mostly with defensemen, I think, in, in the past. But, you know, they took a guy like Isaac Lundestrom, and they've taken some some forwards certainly over the past couple of years as well that aren't necessarily as flashy as the defensemen. But they're just one of those teams that, like, just makes oh, – I just feel like they make good picks. They just draft well. I don't know what they're doing. I don't, Or it might just be a, a developmental thing on their part as well. But, like, Boldy's one of those names. I think there certainly are certain segments of the internet that – do you view him as a sexy pick and are interested in him? And I think a lot of Canucks fans would, would like that pick, but there's so many other names there that he could, he, it strikes me as a guy who could kind of fly under the radar a little bit. And then you just walk away from him and you look back and you're like, Oh, the, the ducks got him at nine. Like that's, that's a, that's just a smart pick. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know, we might be saying the same thing, you know, oh, the Panthers got him at 13. Like, that's a really nice pick. Yep. And, and I can take a little bit of the credit or the blame, I guess, for the Canucks fans being hyped up about Matt Boldy. I put my uh, kind of my stake in the ground mm. a couple months ago and said, I think this is the, the pick for them because I think he makes a ton of sense for them. Uh, you know, the winger depth uh, in the NHL and in the in the prospect pipeline for Vancouver is it's pretty void uh, outside of Brock Besser, obviously. Yep. And so, uh, no, for sure, I, I think Anaheim, that that'd be another nice fit, another organization that needs everything and and so you know if if they wanted to grab the american kid that that's uh he's gonna be a player yeah i wonder if they would i mean it would kind of go against what i just said about them drafting smart but i wonder if there's like there's a bit of like a a hubris or a bravado that comes like if you nail so many picks on a certain positional group and it's like all right we're just killing it with evaluating and drafting defensemen and you hear all this stuff about let's say the oilers don't take broberg at eight and then all of a sudden if you're bob murray and the ducks you're like I don't know. We just put him in our system. Look at look at what we've we've done. Just turn this guy's physical tools into a star, and just we'll just watch us do it. And then I could I could see a little bit of that sort of uh, hubris as well, just kind of them feeling themselves and a little bit of a flex on their part. I'd like that too. I, I could be okay with that. Not not from uh, my, who I would right. do it for, but as a right. Canuck, quote unquote. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, let's take a break here. We're gonna hear from a sponsor, and then we're gonna do 
10 through 15, and then some honorable mentions. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast is SeatGeek. Going out to an event, whether it is a sporting event, a concert, a stand-up comedy, a play, it's supposed to be a fun night out. You're supposed to get away from your daily problems. You're supposed to just kind of turn your brain off and enjoy a fun night out with your friends or your loved ones. But actually getting there can sometimes be a big issue because it feels like some of these ticketing websites can make it awfully difficult and kind of go out of their way to make sure you're not uh, getting to enjoy that stress-free experience because they make you jump through all these hoops just to get the tickets in the first place. And it's such a hassle and such an ordeal that you feel like you're better off just staying home and doing your regular thing as opposed to actually putting yourself out there and going and having a fun night out. But we're going to change that because SeatGeek is changing the full game. They really do all the work for you. They're trying to save you time, money, and effort by pulling together millions of tickets from all over the web into one place, rating each of those tickets that are available as a deal based on a scale of 1 to 10, and then finally displaying all those seats that are available on an interactive seat map, breaking down the deals for you with actual details, making it easy for you to just spot the green dots, which indicates a good deal, and then stay away from the red dots, which indicate overpriced ones. Plus, every purchase with SeatGeek is fully guaranteed, so you can do your shopping for tickets with full confidence, knowing that what you're paying for is what you're going to get. I've got the Seeky app on my phone, and even though now hockey season's done, uh, and after the draft and free agency, we're going to be taking some time off from from live hockey. There's still so much good stuff going on this summer. I'll be going to a couple of shows. Um, I'm going to be going watching tennis. They've really got it all. If you can think of anything, any sort of live event, SeatGeek probably has tickets for it. So you may as well just go check it out. And sometimes I like to just open it up and click my location and just look what's going on in Vancouver or if I'm traveling in the city I'm in that night. And sometimes something captures my interest and I'm just going to go and just go for it. So um, you can do all that. You can plan it out far in advance. You can do it the night of. SeatGeek's really got it all. And if you're still kind of uh, you know wavering and not sure if you should give it a shot, as my listener today, SeatGeek's going to give you $10 off your first purchase with them. All you need to do is use our promo code and let them know that we sent you. So just download the SeatGeek app today and enter the promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code PDO for $10 off your first purchase. Now let's get back to the mock draft with Cam Robinson and Ufe Bodine. All right. So we're here at, uh, we're at the Canucks at 10, 10 overall. Um, I mean, I feel like I knew this was going to happen as we go through this mock. We're like just throwing so many names out there. I don't even know who's off the board at this point. But let's go walk through some of the possible scenarios here for the Canucks. We already talked about Broberg and why that would be an issue. And I think the thing that bugs me with that pick, and I, it would bug me with any defenseman they took. And I think there's guys like Moritz Sider, there's Cam York, even Soderstrom or Harley. Like there's interesting defense prospects in this class beyond Bowen Byram. Just I hate the rationale of we need more defensemen in our system. Therefore, we're going to draft an 18-year-old now that we might not have anything to show for for two, three, four years. Like that's kind of how you get into the whole Ole Levy situation. That's just how like you make mistakes when you're a team like the Canucks that needs a little bit of everything, and you're just trying to like do like 4D chess and be like time everything out and and get a little bit of everything. And it's like just focus on getting the most talented player, and also just like make your pick based on who you think the best player available is, not getting cheers from your home crowd on Friday night. Like there's just, there's such a recipe for disaster here with all the Lucha rumblings, all the talks about them potentially moving this pick, the Broberg rumors, like everything. Like I'm just like of all the possible scenarios, very few of them are like favorable. Like, Oh, that was a nice smart pick by them. 
Yeah, I, I will be surprised if if all it is 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 Jim and Judd walking up there and, and we select a tenth overall, the best Ford available. Yeah, um, and that's it. I think they desperately want to make some noise at this draft to give the the fans a show. I think that's coming from top down. You know, and Benning, he's a lame duck GM. He's got a single year left on his contract. He's he's only has a couple more opportunities to really make uh, an imprint and and you know earn his next contract. And so the draft. And then free agency, and that's that's scary um, because you know from all from all rumors out there is that you know tenth overall is definitely in play. That the you know they're willing to move that pick to get a now player. They're willing to to you know really push to move up. You know I I heard today that you know they're they're actively not just you know kind of checking the waters, testing the waters. They're actively looking to move up in this draft, and you know they're looking as high as, as six. And so if they're looking at six, I have a hope that they like a forward. And then right. they want to go ahead and go get Trevor Zegers at six. Yeah, um, and that'll so, be commendable, right? Absolutely, it yeah. depends on you know acquisition. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, if they really wanted a defenseman and they were like, we need another blue liner in our crop, just go ahead and trade back. Mm-hmm. Like, you can slide to that thirteen to seventeen, eighteen range and grab the best of the rest. You know, it's going to be Cam York, Billy Hainola, you know, uh, Thomas Harley, really young for this crop. He, he's got a lot of upside as a, as a transitional D-man who, who can put up some points too. And so if that's what you want to do, go get a, go get an extra second round pick. And, and those are the type of, you know, 40 chess moves I'd like to see them make. Um, you know, we don't know who's on the board in this little mock draft that we're doing right. anymore. But uh, I, you know, I, I have I have a feeling that they really want to get a speed driven player, which you know lends us to their their loving of Broberg. But you know, I think Alex Newhook is a kid mm. that they're high on for sure. Yep. Um, he's he's got plus speed right now. Uh, he he'll be a bit of a weight. I think he'll he'll be a couple of years there at uh, at B, uh, BC yep. and uh, and then he'll come out. But he's a really nice player who plays a two way game and he has that kind of wow pop to his offensive game too with his one on one skills. And I think that they they like Alex Newhook a lot. Well, based on those skills. And um, like I know like, you're not necessarily very worried about just because of what he's shown at other tournaments and whatnot that his competition like you're not too concerned about that and how it translates in terms of some of these other prospects. I do wonder like because he I think Halifax had his rights and then he chose not to go there because he wanted to keep his eligibility for BC right like imagine if he went there and especially with the fact that you know they were hosting the Memorial Cup and and we imagine he probably would have been their best most dynamic player like if he had a monster season for them just how different this dialogue would be and whether we'd be talking about him as a potential third overall pick there with Byron Turcotte versus now it's clear that as much as people like him like he's in that tier below here where we start getting into like the eight to 12 range where he really starts coming into the, into the mix mm-hmm, for sure. And you know, it, it's justifiable to look at it. You know, he's playing tier two junior hockey in the BC there. It, it's, it's becoming a better league, but you know, we talked about Tyson Yost earlier in the, in the show is that, you know, Yost put up massive numbers in the BC and he went ninth overall or something to Colorado yep. and he hasn't really taken that next step in the NHL. But so there, there are some, some red flags in that regard historically, but you're absolutely right. And I respect what he did. He, he wanted to go to college and he, he could have taken the easy route and gone to Halifax and had the big stage of the Memorial Cup and, and played in a proven league and, and just, you know, solidified himself or had the opportunity to Can anyways. you imagine being a guy that talented playing in that league, like just such a free for all. You're just like banking three, three, four points a night, casually having fun. Yeah, for sure. And he had a, you know, I, I have the rabbit ears off a slow start. You know, and he got cut from the Ivan Holinka that bled into his season. I think he was right. disappointed. He didn't show up at camp and they cut him which was a huge surprise because, you know, coming into the season, he was arguably a top five pick for on many boards. Um, and so that bled in where he was only getting about a point per game in, in, in junior A and, and, you know, towards the end of the season or the back two thirds, even he was putting up two points a game. And, you know, and then internationally, he did what I wanted him to do at the World Junior A under 19s there. He was one of the best players in Bobby Brink. And then, you know, he was... 
he was him and Peyton Krebs were the best players for the Canadians at the U18s, and I think he was one of the better players at the tournament. And and he outshined outshone, I should say, uh, Dylan Cousins. Mm. And and so I I love the speed. I think he's you know he uses that on the forecheck, he uses it on the penalty kill. He's defensively strong, and then I think that the upside offensively uh, is a lot higher than people give him credit for, just because you know he's doing it against junior A players. And, and so he's stuck a little bit between a rock and a hard place because if you don't put up massive totals, it's like what's wrong with you, right? And then if you do, it's like yeah, well you should have, and so you can't really. You and know, there's also know. sort of like whether it's a psychological or whether it's just like a a physical like limit to how much production you could even possibly put up right like it's like at, at the end of the, like he's not going to be doing like three points a night or whatever so it's like what did he have he had 102 in, in 53 and that's great and it's like you don't really know what that means but his closest teammate and i know you even like alex campbell had 67 points and i think the same number of games it's like yeah when, when a guy's outpacing like if he, if he was playing either on like a loaded team and it's like a bunch of guys have just a bunch of points and you're like all right like what's happening here who's carrying who or 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 what or a completely inverse scenario but in this case it's like i feel pretty confident that like alex you hook's doing quite a bit of the the play driving here <laughs> he was driving some play yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure you, you know and there were many nights where you check in and, and him and campbell were limates and you're like i like this kid, right. this campbell kid too yeah. like he was making plays happen and it didn't necessarily translate to a ton of points for him and that's why he's going to be a steal later mm-hmm. on in the draft um but no the, you know it might be Campbell doing some nice plays. You're like, oh, that was a nice play. That was a nice play. And then it was Newhook, you know, kind of dancing a couple of guys and then cutting back and then sniping one. And so uh, his production was real. Well, it's interesting because we mentioned uh, Newhook's sort of unique circumstances or kind of the caveats with his production with Peyton Krebs, who you mentioned there as well. Like, what a what a bizarre case, both obviously in terms of his unfortunate injury here recently, um, but also just like I was looking at his team and my goodness like what i don't i don't even know what was going on there but it was tough times yeah. in kootenay and and it is and uh you know they're going to winnipeg and so the 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 hope remains and uh you know they they got the first overall pick in the, in the bantam draft and so you know it, there there is hope for him but what he did everything for that team and, right. and he didn't it was it's difficult when it's just wave after wave of, of offense coming at you and, and you never have the puck and it's just, you're always trying to retrieve it. And so, you know, I, I think he did, he was, is admirable the, the job he did with that club. And, um, you know, you look at the minus 50 if you want and, and be like, Oh, he was getting lit up, but he, he was, he was a play driver and, you know, he had far more first assists and he did second assist playing with guys that, you know, can't put the puck in the net. And so it was splitting hairs for me at Newhook and, and Krebs at six, seven there. I, I kind of went back and forth. I just gave Newhook a slightly higher offensive ceiling that upside, but I, I think Krebs is a fantastic player with a very high floor. Um, I think he can be kind of that locked in second line center that can give you 60 points and impact the game. And he's a heart and soul type of guy. You know, he's a captain, he's a warrior out there and you know, his team's down two, three goals. I, I check in on those games. I really like to see how a player, you know, how they can still compete. And, and he's in that situation all the time. And he's still out there lifting sticks in the neutral zone, causing turnovers or on the forecheck. Um, I, I think Peyton Trebs is going to be a great pick. And, you know, the Achilles injury, maybe that maybe that gives a team a gift outside of the top 10 because they don't want to draft a kid who's coming up on staging crutches. Um, and I, I think that he's not long for the NHL either, or the WHL. I think he's, he's one of these guys that's going to be closer than most. So doesn't his situation uh, remind you of uh, what Mark Scheifele went through? Like, I think it was 2011, he played with the Barry Colts, and they were completely a train wreck, basically. So this situation is so much like that. I'm not saying that Peyton Krebs is a new uh, Mark Scheifele, but uh, there's there's absolutely some similarities. Well, and, and kind of the opposite is a lot of these guys who are playing for the uh, U.S. developmental program, it's like it is such a loaded team that... It, it always is very difficult to sort of 
separate those two things and and really kind of hone in on like if we take this guy and put him in a different scenario, whether it's a worse line mate situation or a better one in a Krebs situation, what's going to happen to their production and how much are they going to take off and how much I talk about this a lot with young defensemen at this level where it's like if you have a great breakout pass, but you're playing with scrubs and you're just constantly breaking out and then the other team is going on a two on one and you're not, they're not scoring and you're not getting any points for it. Obviously your offensive production isn't going to necessarily look great. And all of a sudden you start playing with good players on an NHL level and it's like, wow, this guy's offensive game is flourishing because people are actually making use of his passes. So I think a lot of that stuff is, is uh, these teams are certainly doing their homework and whatnot, but for us, just that's why it goes beyond just looking at a guy's pure offensive production and going like, Oh, like 68 points in 62 games. That's not that impressive. It's like, okay, well what went into that? Yeah, definitely. You know, he was the first overall pick in the band of draft for a reason. And that, you know, that doesn't always mean everything because a couple of years development at 15. Uh, but you know, he, he's a highly skilled player and you're absolutely right. He was out there setting up plays that were just dying on other people's sticks or, or not even getting a chance because because the team was it just wasn't set up to succeed and and there's a team in you know in each chl league uh you know we, we see it over in europe too is that they're just there's some bottom feeders out there and these guys are stuck you know players playing in flint in the ohl it's like what are you gonna do like it, it's you get 15 wins in a season and it's just yeah. it's tough it's really really difficult and then conversely like you said playing with the program is that you know watching these l1s for the last two years even a 17 year olds like they were running through the ushl like the u17 team never made the playoffs in you in the ushl and then they went ahead and did it last year and then they've gone up and just crushed the competition and so you can't really take their total points as, as really a metric of, of what each player is and so you want to see them against the higher competition you want to see them against ncaa you want to see them in international tournaments when it gets to the medal rounds and things like that so you definitely have to take it all into into consideration i do love the painting was minus 50 in 64 games it's yeah. like i mean listen it's a pdo guess we're not citing that as a good or a bad thing it's just a fun fact i, yeah. just, I was like wow that it's is impressive. nuts. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I went, I'm going the other way. I'm so impressed with that that I'm like, wow, that's the fact that he didn't murder his teammates. I'm giving Peyton Krebs credit here because that is just wild. Um, but, you know, you're right. I mean, the one thing of like trotting him out there as, as your, let's say he is a top 10 or, or a lottery pick, he, which he will be, I think. Um, and he's like coming out there on crutches and you have nothing really to show for it out of the gate. Not that most of these guys that they are going to college or whatever, you're not, you know, having them play wearing your jersey every night right out of the gate anyways but it's like when a guy's just i don't know how long he'll be out for i imagine at least a couple months to start the season it's like it is kind of like a psychological thing as well but if you're a gm and you're feeling confident in your place with the organization and this is why a gm who is on the last year of their deal or is worried about getting fired will probably not be taking Peyton krebs in this year's draft um i don't i can't think of any gms that fit that bill but this is a long-term play where you're right. The talent speaks for itself. And realistically, if you're not going to get anything from most of these guys anyways for a year, it doesn't really matter. I don't think we're necessarily too concerned about this stunting his development. It is, it is tricky because it is an important year in the development, especially with a lot of these guys that go off to college. We're like, we want to see them take that next step playing against tougher competition. But at the same time, if he falls here and he gets into like the back half of the lottery, like that is just at some point, it's just such a good value that you just have to roll the dice. No, for sure. And, and I think that the injury, it's going to affect some teams when they look at it. And if they're splitting hairs on a player and they're like, you know, this guy's going to lose six months of training at, at a major crucial point of his development that, you know, maybe we go with the other guy. I think the team, and you alluded to that, that, that it probably is going to affect the most. And, and then we knew that the Canucks like Krebs too. Yeah. Um, there's that, no agent Benny's taking. It's just Krebs. at home yeah. too, right? Like if it was at a different rink, I think that that would, and that's unfair and that's not the way it should go. But at the end of the day, like this is an entertainment industry. And I believe they, they selected JJ Dano like you know, a hundred years ago and 
he came up on crutches too, right. and, and that pick worked out splendidly for them. Um, so there's there's a little history there too, and that yeah, it's it's too bad for Krebs because I think that he deserves to go in the top ten, and I, I think that there's a strong likelihood that he's probably going to be sitting there in the early teens. You think there's any chance? Uh Chuck Fletcher goes off the board here and takes Brett Leeson at 11, citing his veteran leadership. <laughs> He'll fit right in with our core of Matt Niskanen, Justin Braun, and Kevin Hayes for the years to come. Fantastic. Yeah. No, I, uh, I don't think they'd get that. No, they've drafted pretty well. I mean, last year was kind of, or was last year the Jay O'Brien, Joel Farabee year? Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked to see them do more with those picks, but I think historically, uh, especially with like later, later picks in the first round, they've, they've done pretty well, though that, I guess that was uh, a different time, a different management group, so we'll see what they do, but... Um, I don't know. I guess at this point, it's it's silly to ask who do you think the Flyers are going to take because we don't even know who the Ducks or the Canucks or any of these. I, I think I know do. who they're going to take if he's there. And I will just I'll just mention I love Joel Farabee. I mm-hmm. think that was a great pick. Yeah. Joe Brian. Joe so Brian was kind of weird. Yeah, not so much. Um, I think it's Vasily Podkolzin if he if he's there. Yeah. Um, he plays uh, Philly brand of hockey. You can mm-hmm. trademark it, right? The guy is he's a bit of a dick. Like he yeah. he plays over the edge. Um, he's confrontational. He he's got great speed, and he's one of these guys too that if you want to swing on upside, he's got a lot of it as a player that can impact the game in a unique way from the wing. Uh, you know, he can create off with his feet with his hands and himself with a shot and then on the defensive side of things like he is hard to play against he's difficult in the corners on the back check he's, he's a guy that sometimes i feel that he leans a little too much on his defensive side and i'd like to see him cheat a little more offensively but you know if he's there at 11 um, i think that he's a he's a nice fit for philadelphia and you know i have no idea what teams are actually concerned about the the quote-unquote russian factor right. and you know he's got two years left on his deal and he's gonna be playing for a good team there and yeah maybe he's gonna have success and they're gonna offer him a ton of money to stick around you know he said he's gonna play two years and he come over i'll take him at his word the caps had to wait four years for getting kuznetsov you know that didn't hurt them too yeah. much yeah no you're right i think if you're betting on the talent, it'll it'll be worth waiting around for. Like I had him, I had Perkolzin going at 13 to the Panthers. Just, I just thought it made sense from like a. I think they always go kind of high ceiling in the first, as the sirens go in the background. Uh, you know, they went Borgstrom in 16, they tip it in 17, followed by Heponami with a second round pick. They did Denisenko last year, so like I think the track record is there for them, and uh, with some of the draft people they have, I don't see them being worried and, and kind of off put by some of those concerns, but. I guess what you're saying is he probably won't be available, right? Because I think either the Flyers or the Wild will probably snap him up. Yeah, I think I'm not sure about the Wild. Maybe maybe they've got a little more of the fear because of Kaprizov. Yeah. Um, again, it shouldn't come into play. Totally different circumstances for, what was he, a fifth-round pick? You guys see these sirens? Yeah, but... This is a nice neighborhood, right? Can you can you guys tell the listeners? I always I always get grief from people like, what are you, what are you hanging out in Detroit? What do you like? What are you doing? Like, this is like a nice safe Vancouver neighborhood. I fear for my life in this neighborhood right now. Absolutely. We're on the 13th yeah. floor. Yeah. <laughs> We're comfortable. We're drinking beers. We're hanging. Just cool guys talking hockey. Yeah. There's no fear. No. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I don't. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know about the wild. I do. I do think that, that the, the slide, if you want to think so, will stop at affiliate pod Coles and is mm. still there though. Yeah. It's interesting though. Cause I mean like a lot of these guys, if we do think Broberg is going to go higher than we'd recommend, then that's going to leave the, the new hooks, the Krebs of the world dropping into the teens here. And then all of a sudden it's like, but, but every year we do see some of these guys, there's going to be one guy that just drops way too far. Yeah. Like we'll is, Ca- is Caulfield still there? Like we don't even no, know. No, <laughs> we, 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 yeah, no, you're right. He, yeah. he could, but he I, could I do, I do it. think yeah. like the Red Wings or the yeah. Sabres will probably take him, but yeah. Yeah. you're right. I mean, it's, it's interesting. So we've got the Flyers, we've got the Wild, we've got the Panthers, the Coyotes, I had no. I mean, if you thought you knew what the Coyotes were going to do after the Brett, Brett Hayden, uh, Barrett Hayden scenario last year, like what? I don't know what they're going to do now. Yeah, uh, 
you know, I, I, I said this on uh, Prospect Central there is that I could see them going like something like Victor Soderstrom and then being like, you know what? We got ourselves our center. We got Barrett Hayton last year. Right. We'll, go, we'll go safe now and we'll grab Victor Soderstrom when they could have just gone Quinn Hughes. Yeah. And then get oh, a let's better just take, center now. Let's <laughs> just take the best of Krebs or Newhook right here. You know, like give me, give me that option. And yeah. so, you know, like we talked about, that's when you get yourself in trouble is selecting for positional needs. But um, at 12 there, I think the Wilder are a sneaky team to watch out for, for Spencer Knight. And, and that's been whispers Ooh. for a while. 12th on, I was talking about this little earlier, 12th on Bob McKenzie's list. And he's he? usually, I mean, he's not, he's not mocking it no. in terms of what the team needs, but just in terms of the range of where scouts see the value. When I saw that, I was like, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that the Wild and the Panthers are both interested oh. in, in Spencer Knight. And I think the Panthers are, are hoping that they're going to get to lay out seven years for Bobrovsky, and that would kind of maybe you, squash I, that I want to see video of them coming to Cam Lawrence and Reese Jessup and going, and Josh Wiesbach <laughs> and going, we're going to take Spencer Knight at 13, and I want to see their faces. Yeah, I want to get that. that. Hey? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he's going to – Spencer Knight is going to go higher than people are feel comfortable with <laughs> like it's gonna it's gonna happen right like i was talking to myself into like low 20s i was like all right 21 22 okay it's gonna happen i don't agree with what's gonna happen but now it's like the buzz is there where it's gonna go in the teens right and what's the last goalie we saw was it vasilevsky was the last samsonov was he at no 20s 20s, 20s yeah, yeah 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 so then probably Vas- yeah, yeah. samsonov yeah. and ottinger were the last yeah. couple guys in the yeah. 20s but it's yeah. been pretty i mean you've had like the mason mcdonald's in the 30s and like random guys like that so yeah. i mean what was last year olaf olaf lindblom was in the 30s and that was the first goalie taken the first one off yeah, yeah for sure and and honestly like normally you see that quick run in in day two on day yeah. two around the 35 right. mark and someone's it's like, like oh, the other looking when someone takes him it's like okay i can i can take one out uh, totally people yeah. can't make fun yeah. of me like for sure and and often you could see like some goalies where you'd be like you know what they're, they're maybe like borderline first round talents like maybe you can take them 27 you're like no 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 i'm gonna take them at 32 and it's gonna be fine because it's not my first round pick and and everybody kind of agreed on that and now we're starting to see guys sneak in and, you know i like Spencer knight it's difficult to scout goaltenders regardless of, of what's going on but to put him on such a dominant team it it doesn't make it any easier so he's got the size he's got the athleticism and i, I really like that he's not he doesn't get shaken by a bad goal or, or a bad game but um yeah for me to i i think he will go a lot higher than i have him on my board and and it'll be it'll be fun when it happens well i mean we talk about how it's going to take a gm very secure with their position in their organization to take Peyton krebs like to take a goalie this high like when are you realistically getting 50 NHL games in a season out of Spencer Knight. Yeah, I in mean, the, in the mid 2020s, like it's going to be a while. Uh, I mean, maybe, yeah, yeah I, I, maybe they'll point at their at the board and be like, like you know, look is, at Carter Hart. I understand three years I understand, and he's a star, right? Like, that is true. That is true. It. I'm not saying that's the case here, but I'm sure that, that that might play into some teams that do love this kid and that don't have a goaltender of the future or that or the near future, and then they're kind of void in that position because you know after that. It's it's slim pickings a little bit. You, you yep. fall into you know you're looking at Dustin Wolf maybe in the 90s or something like that. A kid who's six foot. But you shouldn't be looking to fill your goalie position <laughs> in the 2019 draft. But, you, but these guys are, they have a big old board that's like the size of a wall, and they're yeah. looking at that goalie and they're like, we got nothing. I love yeah. that you have like an NHL GM just like hanging out with his scouting staff, and they're just like, now can I take him? And the team's like, no, wait for another GM to take a goalie first. Now can I take him with every pick? Yeah, um, yeah it's all a good old good old fashioned cat and mouse game. Um, yeah, the Coyotes are kind of. I do. I do have Victor Soderstrom here. I could see that kind of strikes me as a as a Coyotesish pick, but I'm just purely making that up. But I do think the Canadians have been rumored to take a defenseman, and I think that organizationally they feel the need to do so. And I think 
I like Cam York a lot there. I think if Moritz Siders is available still, he's also very interesting. But one of those two guys, I really like them quite a bit for the Canadians at 15. Yeah, and, and the, there's whispers out there that they like Cam York too. And and he's one of these guys that's kind of fallen under the radar a little bit because he, again, playing on such a great team. He's right. the most prolific defenseman score ever at the U18 level, though, for the, for the Americans. Um, and so he earned those stripes. And he's just another guy who's really good at everything. I like the way he skates. I like the way he sees the play. He's got a great first pass. Um, you know, he can run a power play. He doesn't have a cannon of a shot, but you know, it's good enough. I don't project him to be a top power play guy, you know, maybe on a bad team, but, but more of a secondary offensive guy who they can contribute in all situations. He's not the biggest player. I, I think another safe pick that you're probably going to get yourself a transitional mobile defenseman that can play, you know, around four or five if uh, in maybe two or three or four years. Yeah. yeah. Well, good thing by then they'll still be paying Shea Weber a lot of money to run the power play. So uh, that's not a concern for them. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Okay. Let's get into some of the honorable mentions. I don't, is there any names through this first 15? I, I feel like we went through the 15. We didn't necessarily assign a, a name to a team, but we talked about some possible scenarios. And we also talked about the names that you're going to see in this range. Is there anyone on your list or anyone that you think we should be considering um, whether it's in the top 15 or right here on the next couple teams that we haven't even talked about yet. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a, a couple of wild cards out there. Um, we've seen it in several years here in a row that, that teams are, they're vying to get themselves a, a quality center. And I think Phil uh, Tomasino is, mm. is going to be a guy that, that, you know, if, if someone jumps on him in the top 10, I'm not really going to be that surprised because he's another player who's young for this crop. Uh, he's got decent size, but he's speedy. He's got a uh, nice puck skills. He's smart. He can play the wing as well, but I do think he's a centerman and he, he shone brightly on a, a very nice OHL club as a 17-year-old, which isn't an easy feat. Often these guys are, are stuck down the lineup, and, he, and they're one of those guys that you you get value on later in the draft because they, they played such a, a depleted role, and then they go back as 18, 19-year-olds, and they're, all of a sudden they're playing on the first line, they put up a ton of points, and everyone's like, oh, how'd this guy end up there? Right. But he was up the lineup for most of the season, and uh, I, I like Philip Tomasino. I like his game a lot, and uh, so he's someone that I think that teams are going to look at. Another OHLer is Thomas Harley. It's a weak OHL crop this year, it is, yeah. but there's a couple really interesting guys in you know, I keep talking about is that is when they're almost a year younger than some of these guys like Raphael Lavoie, who, who you know guys have around this mark two fifteen that they're a full year older than Thomas Harley or Philip Tomasino. Um, it, it means a lot, and so for Harley, he's he's a guy who had a big season playing with Mississauga. The puck falls him around. He's smart. He likes to draw kind of those four checkers in before making that play and setting up with numbers going up the ice. And I really love that he can. You know, he plays with a cigarette in his mouth a little bit. You could you could stand to see uh, a little more intensity in him, a little more, uh, you know, be a little more assertive. But but another player that you could, I know Mitch Brown uh, tracked him manually and really liked. He he kind of put his the bullet that this is the kid that if anyone's going to be a top pairing guy other than Byram, that it's going to be Harley. And and I, I I tend to agree there too. I think he's got nice upside. We made it through seventy minutes of a draft preview podcast without mentioning the name Arthur Kaliev. I just about did, but uh, I was talking for a long I was, time. I was, so I, was trying to, I was trying to tease you into it. I mean, there isn't anything really new to say. It's like the ultimate. It's like the most classic, like NHL, like skill versus will discussion. And it's like I don't know, like, but I think the hate in some circles definitely goes too far. We'll see if it does in NHL circles with actual teams that are making the picks. But if he drops, like, there's going to be a certain range where it's like. Okay, you can like hate this guy's character and and his hustle and his effort and how much he wants it, but like you're gonna take someone who's significantly worse at hockey than him right now. So maybe just just draft him and then try to incentivize. Him. I was telling this a beach, whether it's financially or, or 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 with some sort of gifts or what. Just be like, hey man, you need to start playing. And yeah. I think he probably will start playing. I mean, because his team sucked, right? Uh, yeah, they were they weren't they weren't the worst, right? Yeah, right. but they, but he was. 
the best player right. as a draft eligible kid and you know he scored 50 goals and 100 yeah. points so you know that's not overly surprising but no he he's I, I i don't have the list in front of me for the entire draft order but i think when it comes pittsburgh's pick there at whatever 20 or 21 um that's kind of the range where it's like we have to take him, right. especially for the Penguins who have no talent in their entire organization. Um, but it, all it takes is one. So another kid that, that's a dark horse that, you know, we might see him, you know, if he goes to Buffalo at seven, you know, if he goes to LA at five, we'd, like, it'd be wild. Right. But we, we'd be like, yeah, I could see him getting crazy like this. And I could see the Panthers at 13. Yeah. I mean, we were just talking about high and like high ceiling yeah. and, and sort of from a numbers perspective, like mm-hmm. what this guy's comparables are. Like, yeah, for sure. And, you know, what he did this year was very impressive man, can he frustrate you? You, you yeah. watch him. It's like, I hate watching him sometimes. And, and then he just goes and burns one cheese. And I'm like, Oh, that was a nice shot. And so, it, you know, what he does out there, it's, it's unique and it's difficult to teach. And, you know, there's not a lot of it out there, especially in this draft, that, that one shot goal scoring ability. And so maybe if you, you can plug him around some players that are going to go work the corners and get him the puck in that soft spot, then, you know, he's going to, he's going to make hay. Right. But, but you, to be clear, you view that as more of a, uh, an effort thing than a hockey sense thing. Right? I do. I do. Like, he, like he knows what to do. He just doesn't want to do it. Yeah. yeah. Which I, is kind of weird. Cause it's more frustrating for sure. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, I guess that might be more fixable or teachable from a, uh, inspirational perspective, I guess. Cause if a guy sucks, you can inspire him all you want, but there's only so much he can physically do. Yeah. In this case, it's like, please do this. Yeah. Like literally like maybe you got to do like a hostage situation, right, like take right. some collateral. Like, yeah. I, I don't know, but you, you know, it's, it, it definitely is. I think that he can see the play and, and he knows what to do. And especially offensively, he knows what to do. And I just, he'll lose the puck and he'll, you know, look up to the sky or he'll just go for a big loop. And, and, you know, it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta engage. And so I'd love to, you know, I like to talk guys down when they got too much fire in the belly, Alvin Griva and, you know, Vasily Pockles and these guys mm. are like, easy does it there, Tiger, yeah. rather than trying to light a fire under somebody. But, you know, granted, I'd, I'd rather try to light a fire than try to teach someone how to play the game and how to understand the game. And, and I think he does, especially offensively. And, you know, not every player needs to be a two-way beast right you know they don't always have to be on the right side of the puck if they can score goals and they can and they can click on it and so you know around the late teens that's when i would feel comfortable you know maybe early 20s that to to take a swing on a player like this because i think there's some guys out there that that are not just safer but also have some good upsides too and that can fill some holes and some roles um but uh but no he's he's gonna be a fun one to watch on draft day okay here's my one of my favorite i think perceived values because i think he's probably gonna go either in the late 20s or may, might even be a day two guy, Niels Hoglander. I'm going to let you talk about him a little bit, and then I'm going to get Ufe to jump in here and, and uh, yeah, and give us, give us his thoughts on him as well. For sure. Uh, I like him. I think, he's, I think you're right that there's a decent chance that he's going to be there on day two. Uh, I like him in the 20s. He's a kid that plays bigger than he is. Um, you know, he played in the SHL in a, in a kind of a bottom six role and he used the energy and, and, you know, he still flashed some nice offensive upside too in that role. To be clear, he couldn't physically play smaller than he is, right? <laughs> he could, <laughs> you know, he, he's not cool Caulfield, but, uh, you know, he, he's in there. He's feisty. Um, I, I think he's got that fire and I think he's got some offensive upside too. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's sometimes people look at the stats in the SHL for these draft eligible kids and like, Oh, you got like eight points. Like that's, that's not so great. And it's like, you got to look at the situation, you know, how many minutes is he getting? And, and he wasn't getting a ton of minutes often. Um, uh, he's a player that I've had in my first round for a, a long time. I'm not sure if it was the entirety of the season, but, but no, I think he's a good player that if he is there on day two, he's going to provide really nice value. I mean, if you're, if you're a 18 year old kid and you score a lacrosse goal in the SHL, the top uh, Swedish level, you, you got some guts. I mean, it takes, it takes a lot of courage and self-confidence to pull off something like that. And it, it tells you something about him. 
Um, I spoke to a, a scout, uh, I think it was uh, probably late summer, early fall last year, and he uh, likened him to uh, Kevin Fiala. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but uh, it tells you something about what he is as a player. I mean, people who listen to Pityocast know that's a great thing. That's probably the best thing you could ever say about a player, but I guess the way Kevin Fiala's NHL career has turned out so far may be uh, damning with faint praise, but... No, I like him a lot, and I think it's pretty clear. You mentioned, like, with Caulfield, if he was a bit taller, how we'd be talking about him and whether he'd be in the discussion for the third overall pick. Like, this guy, like, it's clear, even if even if evaluators um, think that they've moved past this, when you see a guy who's 5'9", I think, like, you, you like, even subconsciously sometimes just dock him a little bit. And, and when we get into that range of the late 20s, early 30s, like, a guy that's already producing at any level and just playing like literally physically existing as a physical entity in a pro league i you need to give him a look just because like that speaks to an impressive sort of developmental arc for them yeah no without a doubt and and, you know he's 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 built like a fire hydrant out there so he's he's difficult to move off the puck he he can protect it well guys have bounced off him too in in the shl and you know Uve's right you know to pull off the michigan and it's that that takes a lot of courage and and so that's you he's flashed more skills than just that too Uh, you know he's had some nice rushes in that in that league where you know they didn't always finish but but he flashed that and i think that he'll go back and he's gonna get you know a whole heck of a lot more points next season i was kind of surprised when i saw your top 100 or or or, or how many guys you rank that you didn't have a on along a similar vein, uh, Samuel Fagamo, I know he's a bit o- a bit older. He missed, uh, I mean, he got skipped over last year, I guess, in the draft, but just based on sort of the similar criteria of, like, playing in a pro league and, and being pretty productive. I think, what, he had 14 goals in 42 games for Falunda this season? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, well, you had him, in, I think, in the 50s, right? Yeah. Which I, is, like, reasonable, but I just, I, I, I see him as a value as well, considering some of the names they're going to take in there, like, at least... I've seen him at a pro level and do stuff. Yeah, my, my big kind of question mark on him is the skating. Mm. Um, and so, you know, he does have a really nice shot. Um, and I, I expected him to come to the to the World Juniors and really kind of put on a bit of a show. Yeah. Um, and he was pretty disappointing. And I was watching him closely uh, at the Victoria Games. I was front row center. And, and he was he looked sluggish. And that kind of reaffirmed what I saw at, at the, the top level there in Sweden, too. And so... You know, I I had him on my draft board last year. I thought he should have been drafted. I think I, I'm pretty sure I had him in the top 100 last mm. year. And, and, you know, what he's done this year, he's come back and he's, he's had a great year. And so that's, you know, now he's in my top 60. And, and I, I think that that's, that's earned and that's justifiable at that point. I think that he can be a pro. It's just I, I don't know if I see a ton of upside. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, when you get into that range of the second, third round, it's like how many how much upside does a lot of these guys really have? Is there anyone else that we haven't, uh, that we haven't mentioned yet that you wanted to talk about, either of you guys? Uh, I, I could talk about literally this entire. Well, give, list. give, give yeah. me give me a couple yeah. names of guys you you like to keep an eye on in terms of maybe you guys you've noticed you like them more than the consensus in the industry or or, or guys you think might go higher than people are expecting or or inverse maybe. Let's keep it mostly optimistic, but I mean there might be some guys that you like, dislike more than others. I'm a positive guy, so yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, a kid that I've liked and championed a lot for is, is Nick Robertson. Um, uh, I'll say it one more time. Very very young for this class. I think he's five days away from being eligible for the 2020 crop. And, you know, nearly put up a, a point per game in the OHL, and he's got great acceleration. He's quick. He's elusive. He's darting in and out, sort of thing. He's got nice puck skills. Another kid that really sees the play really nicely. Uh, his shot is accurate, but a, a bit of a muffin at this point. Um, I. I don't have it in front of me, but I think he scored 30 goals with it still. Mm. Um, and, and so he's one of these guys that I expect him to go back to the O next year and put up big, big numbers. And, and another player that I'm, I'm fully expecting to be there on day two. And if he goes 
45 or something like this, like that. It's just going to be ludicrous to me, but uh, Salmon's going to get themselves a, a great pick. And, and my buddy, Steve Laidlaw, he, uh, down over there, he, he said it at the beginning of the season, he's like, Tampa's going to win the cup. And then they're going to get Nick Robertson at 31. And so they didn't win the cup, but right. I could definitely see them going with Robertson because they've, they've done that. Maybe Stevie Eisenman's gone now. So yeah. Detroit will look at him in day right. two. Yeah. I like that call a lot. Ufe, you got, you got any parting words here? Give, give people, give people a, a shout out in terms of like what you're, what you're doing, where they can find you, what, what's going on with you. I'm just hanging around here, having fun, <laughs> drinking beer. No, uh, uh, I'm doing a bit of work for EP Ringside, which is Elite Prospect site. Uh, I jump in there every now and then, but I mostly do work for Hokisvalley.se, which is our Swedish website. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. I like that, just hanging around and drinking beer. That's that's inspirational. I want to. I'm aspiring to do that. I just hope my bosses aren't listening. To me. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, we're like an hour and twenty in here. There's no one listening anymore. It's just us. Uh, Cam, plug some stuff. I know you you let out a full rankings list, and you've been doing about a bunch of podcasts. Where can people check you out? Yeah, for sure. So uh, obviously on Twitter, hockey underscore Robinson. Uh, you can check my workout. I'm, I'm running Dauber Prospects these days. We just released the uh, Fancy Prospect Guide, so that's great. It's got like 500 profiles, uh, 100 draft eligibles. Rankings are out there on Twitter on Dauber Prospects. Um, hosting uh, Prospect Central on Sportsnet 650, contributing to Next Gen Hockey, which is uh, Beecher there and uh, Jeremy Davis, a great site that they've just opened up. It's behind a paywall and it's totally worth your money. Yep. And uh, I said that before I. Uh, before I even started working there. I even subscribed before I started working with them too. So I should get my money back, but uh, you should, yeah, you I, really should. Yeah, I know. Right. I'll have to call Ryan out. Um, well, this was a blast. I'm glad we did this. Hopefully, uh, you know, people had fun with us. People enjoy the ride. People weren't too upset with the fact that we quickly went off the rails and stopped naming players and teams and just talking about random, uh, pie in the sky stuff, but it was, it was a blast and I'm looking forward to this. It does feel like we say this every year, but a lot of, uh, fireworks could happen at this draft and hopefully we'll see some picks being moved and some teams, getting creative and feisty and um yeah it's gonna be a fun night it's 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 cool that everyone's here in vancouver for it and um i'm looking forward to it so thanks both of you guys for uh, for hanging out and chatting hockey and enjoy the enjoy the show on friday thanks a lot for having me man the hockey pdo cast with dimitri filipovich follow on twitter at dim filipovich and on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pdo cast